Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Enthusiast & Co. I had the pleasure of being joined by Francesca, the owner and founder of The London Loom today. Um, but we talked about so much more than weaving. Um, we talked about everything under the sun, um, from weaving to New York to writing to Barbara Streisand to chicken soup. Um, because just just wanted to talk to Francesca forever, really. Um, you know, I think I could write a biopic on her now, which is actually very up for the episode. Um, because I just love the way she thinks about things and talks about things and it was just a really, really lovely conversation. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Hello, Francesca. Hi, how's it going? Hello, hello. Good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, thank you so much for coming on The Enthusiast & Co. It's a joy to have you. And I, I mean, I say joy a lot. I'm very hyperbolic. This is what we've discussed. <laughs> I genuinely do. You are a ray of sunshine. So it's really a joy to have you. Stop it. <laughs> stop. Carry on. Stop, yeah, um, I'll stop it, but don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, could you please um, tell the listeners who you are and what you do? Just, you know, minor questions. No existential sure. price. Yeah. What do I do? I'm at the head of the Barbara Streisand fan club. Um, so, UK much. Um, I'm, so I'm the founder and director of a company called The London Loom, where I predominantly teach weaving workshops and just textile craft workshops in general. Um, I'm published author. I wrote a book called Weave This about a few years ago. It's ironic. It's about weaving, obviously. Um, <laughs> and, um, and my background is actually in like teaching and writing. So I do a lot of writing. And um, but yeah, basically, I te- I, I, I'm a textile textile lady. <laughs> textile lady. Yeah, that's ten times better. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that starts us off very nicely with the first question, which is, what are you enthusiastic about at work? So this one's such a funny one because especially because at the moment I'm not at work and I'm thinking a lot about work and what I can do, you know, to connect back to my business because it's so closed and I'm so kind of not able to really do anything because it's so about touch and about being with people. And it's made me realize how much I miss the kind of connection I have with people. So I often think of my my studio is kind of like a textiles version of a hair salon you know like <laughs> you know because people come in there's sometimes only one person or like up to four people on these floor looms and I really like get the goss <laughs> like, I hear everything what people... I miss about work during corona is the goss that's yeah. what I miss I really do. Well, I don't. I mean, I have a couple of assistants that come in sometimes and help me, like make weft and uh, make warp. But anyone listening, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Make weft. Um, the fraud. The fraud. <laughs> she's a fraud. She knows nothing of textbook. Um, but yeah, like help me to make warp because it's a dull job. Um, and so I sometimes have interaction with people, but generally I do everything alone. All the accounts, everything. Um, I, I, you know, do, I do everything. What one-stop shop for textiles. And um, but when people come in and I really engage with people that I think is the thing I really miss like I just yeah like I have had such lovely conversations with people and I get such a wide range of people who come into the studio because I I will teach from the age of eight till obviously much older than that 
and I have a cut off. <laughs> like, you can come until you're 60 and then you're on your own. Um, but yeah. You are from the London Loom. Sorry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry. Ageist. Um, but yeah, so and I, sometimes I'll sit there with like a, a nine-year-old boy who's learning to weave and talk about Pokemon all morning. Or sometimes I'll sit there with like a woman who's worked in textiles and who's in her 70s and is looking to do weaving in her retirement. And I'll have just these wonderful conversations with people. And I think that's the thing that I really really I really miss I I love storytelling you know my background's in writing and I think those things are just when you can connect with people over something I mean that's what crafts did for such a long time with women anyway you know sitting in groups talking to people and I think that that's the thing that I I just think I love so much about the business and the studio that I created I love that. So how did you get into creative textiles? I know you say your background is writing and kind of teaching, but what was what was the thing about warp and weft and, and weave and loom that you thought this is this is the one? Well, it's such a funny thing. I like I was thinking about this this morning when I was in the mirror practicing what I was gonna say to you. Like how, <laughs> like how I used to practice my Oscar acceptance speech. Now I'm practicing. Mate, this is the dry run for the Oscars. I truly, truly believe that. I'd like to thank Ellie for having me on her podcast. Um, and, I told yeah. her everything she knows, everybody. Me and Barbara Streisand are her two muses. That's right. It's the same. Um, and basically, I've, I've always been someone that, and I know you hate the word hobbies, but I've always <laughs> been someone that has had like a lot of hobbies and like a lot of things that I like dip my toe in. But I, it's almost like a curse, which sounds ridiculous because it's one of those things where it's like, there's so many things that I love, but I like focusing on one of them always leaves me dissatisfied and wanting the other one and like wanting to figure out how to incorporate the other one and I had gotten to a point where I had been teaching for a long time um I work with teenage like year 10 11 children with um special educational needs like varying special educational needs and I worked at a school and I kind of had just always done crafts in the background it was just like my hobby I just do it at home I embroidered a lot of vulvas and things like that was just like that's what I would do in my spare time and then I I left my life last job in education because it was just a bit of a shit show don't know if I'm allowed to say that but it was awful (laughs) it was just horrific anyway and like these two teenage girls threatened to kill me anyway but so that's the story for another time (laughs) it was just like it was it was really intense because I worked in a real like in like I worked with kids that really needed a lot more help than the institution I worked for was able to provide them with and it was just a mess so I left and I was really exhausted and I just didn't want to do work in education for a long time because I was so tired so I was like I just want to do something with my hands I I love crafts and I, I want to try and do something with that so I have this like email log of like all like all of the different companies that I contacted that I now kind of know that I'm embarrassed <laughs> I once asked them for an internship yeah, it's so funny story. Love an origin story yeah I love it and I just remember there was like there's just a couple of sewing companies where I had like I, I like kind of know them now and it's just like when I've looked at our Instagram comments the first one is always me being like I wondered if there's any and I'm now like who Instagram someone for an internship this is why I didn't get one um <laughs> note that everyone always send an email um or a letter You're learning five minutes in look at you just yeah look at me. just you are a teacher you're an educator I am an educator an educator of how yeah how to fuck up in the craft industry um (laughs) but so I I basically I was looking for something to do that was craft related and I started working for other people doing like craft hen parties and things part-time and then I just became really obsessed with this idea 
that I wanted to learn how to weave. And I'd started learning how, teaching myself how to weave when I had lived, I'd been traveling and I had lived in Tel Aviv for a while and I had like taught myself how to weave there. And I was just kind of, but like very- Was it primed or was there something else that drew you to it? To Tel Aviv? Or to weave in Tel Aviv. Oh, to weave in Tel Aviv. Oh my God, that's book number two. Hello, Ellie. This is, you get, you'll get some, uh, whatchamacallums. Royalties. Royalties. Not that I've gotten any on my first book. Anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, so, um, oh no, well, I had been traveling around and my cousin got married and I went to Tel Aviv and I was like, oh my God, this is great. So I just stayed there and ate hummus and I'd been trying, I don't know why, I think I'd seen weaving slowly popping up on my Instagram and I was like, I feel like that's something I could teach myself how to do because I've taught myself how to do all the other crafts I do. So I got a, a small loom for Hanukkah and I learned how I taught myself how to do some basic tapestries. But then I moved back to London and I really wanted to develop that skill. And there was just really nowhere apart from really academic or really technical workshops um, of learning how to weave as a beginner. And I... Um, I did some classes, but they were very technical and it wasn't really what I wanted. And then I went on holiday to visit my sister who um, was living in Japan. Um, And I was trying to do stuff while she was working in the day. She lived in Tokyo. So I went to this weaving studio in Tokyo. I'm with I'm trying I'm trying to do it but you just you have to stick with weaving because I can't think of a craft you can do that rhymes with Tokyo oh I know yeah no no this is not gonna happen I was gonna try to but it's just not my strong suit (laughs) anyway in the first days Um, and I had a girl um, or woman a woman who I, I was friends with who I had taught in Australia English and she was Japanese and she was like I'll go with you I'll book us in for the weaving workshop and it was just a small studio in Tokyo beautiful studio run by this beautiful Japanese man and like everyone couldn't speak English and so my friend was translating everything and I just had this wonderful day where we sat down at these looms and I was just you just were able to weave whatever you wanted like it was just so free the whole thing was very freestyle and I thought it was amazing at one point there was a funny moment where one of the guys who worked there was leaving and he stood up in a very just as a very typical Japanese thing to do a speech when you leave and everyone listened and everyone laughed and he was standing right next to me and I just had to pretend I was listening because <laughs> I couldn't weave he was standing next to my room and I just had to be like oh, yes I agree um, and it was uh, you know, you know what he said up to do you to this very day still not know what he said no I do it's something about <laughs> I'm leaving and here's some jokes but it was like a long speech like 10 he minutes maybe expense and you were something like <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, can we weave now? Like, I'm halfway through. I'm enjoying. It's terrible. Thanks very much. Even my friend was sitting next to me, and she was like, it's a really funny speech. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for sharing with the group. Thanks. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. And I couldn't just, it was, anyway, but it was a very, it was great. Memorable experience, and I've remembered it fondly. Um, So I I made a scarf in these, like, five hours that were in this weaving studio, and I was like, this is this is exactly what I was looking for. It's freestyle. I came away with something big and I'm satisfied with what I made. And I basically was like, this is exactly what I want to do. And I tried to look up the kind of weaving that I was doing in Japan in London and it just didn't exist. And it was basically just like one of those, I kid you not, light bulb moments, like a light bulb 
I was going to say, literally, there wasn't a light bulb. I was on the plane, actually, when it happened, and there was an overhead light, so maybe it was kind of a light bulb moment. There you are. That's literal enough for me. I'll take that. Yeah. Hey, it was a literal light bulb. But it really felt like like an enlightenment came over me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what I could do. Because I'd left education, and I was working all these random little jobs, like crafty jobs. So I kind of went back to London. I kind of slowly started, like, figuring it out. I started teaching tapestry weaving for another craft studio, but it wasn't quite... It was under someone else's rules, but it just felt so scary to start my own studio. And then I went, I tried to find someone who could train me how to like, I bought a loom from Japan, but I, I needed to learn how to like fix it. So I, I went to New York where there was a Japanese weaving studio, just like I'd been to in Tokyo, but run by, um, run actually run by a Japanese woman, but in America. So obviously it was all taught in English. Yeah. And I just was there for a fortnight and she would just be like, I felt like I was like in a, I was like proper apprentice because she would be like, um, she'd be like, there is something wrong with this loom. Please fix it. <laughs> and I'd be Ooh. like, oh my God. <laughs> so I would have to just like figure out how to do it. And my background's not in weaving. So it was uh, such a good education because I didn't get my hand held through it. I just had to kind of figure out how to do this stuff. And at the end of those couple of weeks, like I really knew how to like make the warp properly, thread the looms properly, do all the weird knots that they did to like keep the, the tension and all the other stuff. And I came back to London and um, I, yeah, I, I borrowed not that much money, but I, I borrowed a couple of thousand pounds and bought equipment, bought materials and paid for three months of a pop-up studio and in those three months I mean when I was setting it up and I would tell people I'm setting up a weaving studio people would be like like hair weaving yeah and I was always like I'm like the whitest most Ashkenazi Jewish girl from North London that would be horrific are you kidding like it was just like that was people's go-to though when they heard the word weaving so it was like no one knew what I was doing and I remember when I opened it on the opening evening I had like a party and everyone who came was like oh it's like really cool (laughs) and you were like yes that's why I set this up thank you very much (laughs) people just that's such a funny thing and then yeah like and 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 um I, it was cool. Like I'd had my friend, who, I designed a uh, like my logo, and then I'd had a friend who's an illustrator in Australia, like make it look cooler and stuff. And it really felt like a real business, and it, it was a real business. I was a real business. I pay taxes, and um, and it was just really amazing. So, and I guess because I and I designed this like yarn wall of like rainbow yarns and all of the wall, like I had really had this vision of what the studio was going to look like. And I think people were really. It was the first time actually in my life that. I had envisioned something, made it happen, and people were like, wow, I couldn't have imagined this thing, and it's great. And it was, that was a real, I mean, I think that has been one of the most rewarding things ever. And it was just, that was amazing. So, and in those three months that I was open, I took enough money on workshops to put a down payment down on a studio for a year. Yeah, and it was just really. I thought it was going to be like three months, and maybe this would help me get a job somewhere else. But yeah, people just wanted to do it. And within the and then over the and then within those three months that I um we I was in the pop up. I had um yeah, I got my book offer, um, and I started making all the projects and writing the book and and yeah, like put down the the deposit down for this studio and moved on because. I thought, yeah, I thought it would be three months and I'd be over. And now it's been just over about three and a half years that I've been running it. 
I like, and I know this sounds like you have no way of verifying this because obviously we're doing this virtually. But I have yeah. actual goosebumps because I just think, as as the lucky person who has been to one of your workshops, albeit not in your gorgeous studio, but sure. um, in a separately gorgeous but totally separate space, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it is that is testament to why you your work is so brilliant because your enthusiasm for the craft, but also for being around people and kind of helping that creativity shine is is yeah. so it comes through in everything you do and it's just so it's like when you said that you put the down payment down for a year I was like oh my god yes even though like I knew this was, I, I knew this had happened historically because I know that you have a studio <laughs> I was like yes she's won yeah well it was so funny like I remember getting you know getting the keys for that studio and just being like I can't like I you know and that is like it was like I'm my studio is in Hackney in East London I mean that is not an inexpensive deposit you know like that is it was a lot of money and I started paying myself properly oh well I started paying myself September that year and I opened in January and I think that and like people say that that is like quite unlikely and it was really amazing I mean my second year I did so well then my third year didn't do so well but it's it has been really like that has been a really amazing like that's just been a really amazing thing (laughs) that's amazing that's amazing that's amazing I just keep saying it's all amazing and I have no complaints (laughs) about anything in life I love it that's right yeah (laughs) that's not true (laughs) I feel like weaving is very you are the the queen of weaving in that regard because I feel like other creative textiles like you mentioned embroidery and sewing as well which you do kind of make your own clothes and things Mm. I feel like they all have a uh not a wider community I don't mean that as if to say like you've got no one Francesca but uh, <laughs> I feel like I know more more people they're more common as hobbies or as um jobs whereas I don't know anyone else that that weaves as their yeah. thing you know that this was part of the fortune I had in opening the studio is that actually weaving is so traditional still and because it requires I mean apart from the small handheld looms it requires quite hefty equipment so people don't tend to just buy a floor loom for their house but actually you'd be surprised how many people do do that when they get into it a lot of retired people will be like I've bought myself a loom and this is what I'm going to do in my retirement but the thing is, is that, yeah, it's it's very traditional. And when I did one of the courses, one of my, uh, one of the courses I did in London when I was trying to figure out where to find a weaving workshop that I want, like I wanted, um, I, I found that I was surrounded by, it was always women. I keep saying women, but it is just because I have never been, I mean, I do have men that come to my workshops, but I've never been in a workshop myself where there had been men in the weaving workshop um, but yeah. I was always surrounded by women that were lovely but so fixated on the technicalities and the tradition and if I started using used like this plastic warp thread and like always neon pinks and stuff and I always got these funny looks like that's gonna look weird and I'd be like but I'm experimenting like there was no room for that apart from if you go into universities where they're like doing the academic weaving course and then those students really get to experiment and I've had the fortune of taking on quite a lot of like Central St. Martin weaving students for example um, as my assistants or um, you know or interns in the studio and they really do experiment and there are there is a young wave of weavers that um, that are employed and will do things and will design uh, like woven um, textiles but yeah it's it's not a huge thing and I think there are there are big Instagram weavers and 
people who have like a lot more followers than I do and produce a lot more work because I don't actually produce a lot of woven cloth. I'm much more of an educator, but I do mm. think that it's one of my like specific skills that I'm very good at translating something that I enjoy to some to a beginner. And I yeah. think that comes maybe also just we all have our own like like our own natural skills and things. I think that's something that I'm I am just quite good at. But it's also something that I learned working with teenagers with special educational needs. So it is like I just have a slightly heightened patience for showing people you know translating those things to beginners so I think that's yeah. probably why it's worked so well yeah oh, it's like the, it's like the perfect middle of the Venn diagram isn't it because you have obviously the yeah. teaching skills in high pressure you know environments you know you weren't just an, an average te- not that any teachers are average at all great but you know you sure. were teaching in, in really specific situations yeah and with also with like a genuine passion and a love for sharing I think they that, that the middle of that Venn diagram is exactly what you do isn't it it's so yeah. great that you've that and and also not just found that but like created that for yourself I think that's amazing yeah I think it's also a really funny one because now I think that's that's been a really amazing thing for me to go through for the last three years and realize that that's what I'm good at and that's been really rewarding and amazing and now the interesting thing is is that I have been doing it for a few years and there are there's you know because of what's going on at the moment obviously I have to change slightly what I'm doing and it's been really interesting to try and figure out like how I can translate that with what I'd like to do in this period and that's just a whole other you know but those things they're really hard to figure out like what are you good at I actually think it was almost by accident that I realized I was good at teaching crafts so it's just one of those funny things that happen like but I do think it's why it's been good because I don't mind. People always ask me like, well, what, what weaving do you do? And I do weave like, but it is still a hobby for me. Like it is very, it's not my art form. It is really a hobby. And I think because it's my hobby and not my art form, I am not precious about it. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing as well. And why I don't care if I've got like a seven-year-old who's picking his nose on the loom. Like I just don't care. <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, not in your workshop because you teach them eight up. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Don't bring your seven-year-old. <laughs> I, I, I listen. I listen. I pass yeah, the test. Oh my god, I don't even um, know. Something else that you've put under your um, answer for what you're enthusiastic about work, and I feel like I'm dropping a world exclusive. Oh yeah. Um, but you mentioned writing. Yeah. I didn't know you wrote. Yeah. So it's uh, so writing is something that it's like I think I have one of those real. Um, classic um like misunderstood like middle child uh angst need to write my journal and it's going to become a bestseller (laughs) you know like I've always had that side of things where I've like always been a diarist and I've always kind of kept up with that but I actually have a master's in creative writing from University of um, East Anglia as you do yeah as you do (laughs) And I, I studied life writing, which is becoming something now that I, which is why I'm saying it's really interesting now after three and a half years of running my studio that I'm like, and why I was saying it can be a curse sometimes when you have a lot of things that you're really interested in that you'd like to focus time on, because this is something that I would really like to spend more time on, but barely ever do. And so is life writing like the art of writing about someone's life? Yeah, essentially. It's basically like nonfiction creative writing. Right, sure. So I really had a dream of writing the biographies of great female artists. I kind of thought that's what I was going to do with my life. And then when I got to do my master's, I promptly realized that I actually find it really boring writing about people's adulthoods because they're boring. (laughs) 
I don't care. I'm really self-centered and I don't care. Like, I mean, fair enough. At least you know. That's some time you could have wasted there that you didn't waste. That's cost effective. A hundred percent. So I ended up in this master's where I was supposed to be writing about Camille Claudel and like, yeah, whatever, like all these people. And I ended up writing about my grandmother's and which was amazing because I never met either of them and about their cooking and I ended up writing my master's thesis where everyone else was writing about like great people like the you know like of the arts or whatever I wrote um my master's was called a life in brine the story of the pickled cucumber And I just wrote, yeah, I wrote this master's thesis on like the life story of, of like, yeah, the journey of a pickled cucumber around the globe. And I loved this essay and it really, it was like, you know, so, so yeah, so I, and I, so I've always wanted to kind of like go back into it, but I think as classic, I really didn't have any confidence with my writing. And then as it, as it goes, I graduated in this time of great recession and I kind of like, didn't know what to do with myself and I was too I was just had no confidence that I could even though I had a master's at this point in creative writing I had no confidence that I was any good at writing so I went into teaching what more do you want just just no it's so funny that and that's one of those things of people being like you're so you're so confident and bubbly and and extroverted but like I'm such a self-critic and like terrified of like not doing things correctly and like in a way it might even be the reason why I was able to open my weaving studio because it was my hobby and not my my extreme passion so I could open it and enjoy it and not worry that I wasn't doing it perfectly and and then crosses over with the fact that because I don't care about it I'm not precious about it it works better yeah, but with writing, I'm such a, I'm so terrified that I'm not good at it, that I kind of lost all confidence. But last year, I, um, I, st- and then I wrote the, I wrote the Weave This, um, my weaving book. And it's been really funny because I didn't really love writing the instructions, but I loved writing all the intros and the big pages. And I read a review of, of, of it a couple of months ago. That was brave. Yeah, I read a review. <laughs> I mean, I actually thought some of the reviews were so funny. Like, there's a lot of swearing in this, and I bought it for my grandson, and I'm furious. I just love those things. <laughs> Like, amazing I, I don't care like I, I just think like some of the reviews on Amazon like mostly they're great one or two of them are from my mum and like one of them like, someone being like it's very obnoxious like I just thought it was so funny um but I read a full review the other day of someone being like this is hands down the funniest craft book I've ever read and I was yes. just like yes it was like that was the whole point and I felt really proud of it and like when I reread it and I when I think back you know it's like when you sit down and you try to figure out like what you want to do with your life or whatever I think what have I really enjoyed like over the last few years and I remember sitting down and that book just flew out like I just loved every second of it so last year I was really like I need to get back in like I need to connect with that again and I started I did a short course in screenwriting at Central St Martins and I was just like the absolute teacher's pet every single week we'd been given an assignment I was the only one who did it (laughs) and and every it was just so funny like every single lesson we would read some of someone's writing and because no one else was doing it every week we just read mine I maybe that was a calculated thing on everyone else's part maybe they just really wanted to hear more of your fantastic writing so they just wanted to I mean I think I think so they wanted to know I started writing a short film about a woman who was obsessed with an online craft personality and it kind of became like a misery-esque like obsession that she was like really obsessed with her and there was like a masturbating scene (laughs) 
<laughs> it got really ridiculous but it was funny it was like a dark comedy but just like i just thought it was just really i loved it so much and so that's something that i definitely i need to figure out how to maybe use that to you know i need to look back at that venn diagram and see where this intercepts with what i've already been doing to make it you know to, to expand that part of my brain as well yeah yeah, I'm, I have to say, when I said I don't know you right, obviously I realise you are a published author. It's just because you no, said about sure. like, you know, dark comedy short stories. I didn't realise that was well, where... I, because I don't correlate the two things in the same way either. Like, because a lot of people who write craft books, they aren't writers and that it's really hard to get those words out. But actually for me it was so strange because the book I proposed, when I wrote my book proposal, like my spec or whatever I had to do for the for the publishers, it was like and I have a master's in creative writing and this Mm -hmm. is an excerpt of what I'm going to write and so part of the way the book went was that it became this like comedy craft book you know so yeah and all of the like chapters are like puns it's just like which was the best they must have just like got your craft book proposal and been like cool a craft book that's not been done before by a young attractive personality great oh my god it's a comedy craft book oh my god she's got an MA (laughs) like let's just sign her up let's snap her up and it's just so strange that the sales didn't reflect how funny I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I'm not saying that I've got massive influence, but all I'm saying is hopefully we can get you some more. Off the back of this. It's so funny every year when you get these royalty statements. And I never made that book so that it would make money. I made the book because, God, you get offered a, a chance to write a book and you're like, of course, I'm going to write this book. And I know sure. that you know, some people's books really, you know, they make money. But like, it was just very funny every year getting those royalty statements where it's like, you still owe the publishing company £1,500. Great. Great. Like, yeah, cool. <laughs> just pay out just pay out for another ma why don't yeah, you exactly. just do it and i'm like that's great but it says here that 100 people bought it in america so i'm, I'm happy oh my god we could we could tour you to america we yeah to get you back to new york where it all started that's oh right. go on a journey exactly um so you've touched on this before um but we're going to talk about what you're enthusiastic about at play now and sure. what you said in the kind of pre-questions um is you kind of touched on the difference between kind of turning a hobby into a career and how you um want to kind of protect that for yourself so could you talk about maybe also hobbies it's not a bad word I don't personally like it but that's purely <laughs> my own that's my own just hatred for myself not having any really if we're being honest with ourselves so please feel free to talk bountifully about hobbies <laughs> you know it's just so funny because I've listened obviously to a podcast and I just I always think it's so funny because like I just think you're so hard on yourself and you do have hobbies and you make podcasts and do all these different things this is the thing okay let's let's talk about me Francesca thanks for watching <laughs> it um <laughs> It is, it's really weird because like, simult- and I'm aware that I'm doing it every time simultaneously I'm rebelling against the whole like yeah. I don't like the, I don't like the word hobbies because people expect you to have them but then also mm. the reason I hate it is because people expected me to have them and I'm being hard on myself like it's yeah. very sick well, I just need to get over it I think that, you know honestly that is the same thing but people's expectations of you really molds everything I think this is part of my issue is that people expect me to do a thousand different things and crafts and oh you should do this and you should always if I make a dress and then I get three people being like you should sell dresses and I'm like uh it's so stressful because you're like but that's not that's not why I do this thing and it's not and I and hobbies also think they really they're about you going down your own path of something just to enjoy yourself yeah and so even having a name for it like you know you could call it a hobby I could call it like my meditation you know like it's just it's very I I I understand why it's very it's 
but you know, I just wanted to say, I just think you're great. Um, oh, well, thank you, thank you. I'll take that. I'll take that. We'll keep that, Let's keep that in the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I have, I have, like I've said, like so many hobbies, and I mean, they are mostly craft related like textile craft related and it's interesting that because uh, we tried to do I was like we're going to make some candlesticks the other day with my um, partner I was like we should make some candlesticks and I bought this dry clay and like I could not use this clay like I just that's not my medium like I just was so frustrated with it and then he accidentally walked like, how do I weave with this <laughs> yeah do I I should have just woven with it would have made my life long I should have just made loads of yarn with it and then he accidentally walked onto it and crunched it and I was like oh no we've got to throw it in the bin but I just wanted to throw it out anyway because it was so terrible um but but yeah so I have lots of hobbies I mean I've been sewing since I was like 16 I think I got a sewing machine when I was about 16 and I never really knew what I was doing because I don't don't really like following instructions with things but part of the reason I don't really like following instructions because I just if you don't really understand how to do something reading an instruction makes it more complicated if that makes sense yeah but I really spent a lot of time in the last few years I think because I now know so many people who work in the sewing and craft industry that I think are so amazing and I've kind of like wanted to honor them by making their patterns and stuff um I've gotten really I, I've gotten much better at following like sewing patterns, for example, and trying to figure them out on my own, draft my own patterns. And that's been a real, I, that is totally my zoning out. That is like my meditation. Absolutely. I'll have like a morning where I'm like, I'm going to make this jacket and I'll spend like four hours. I mean, that's very, I'm very lucky I can do that. I guess everyone has that at the moment, but, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like that, and that's really like, I, I love that. And I think that also all of that craft stuff comes from the fact that like, I've always find it found it really difficult to find clothes that I think are interesting. And also, if you do find clothes that you think are interesting, they're always designer and I can't afford them. So I think yeah. that for me, it's really like using that creative ability to like you know copy things that I love or fill my house with things that I love so just things like I love vintage textiles from the 60s and 70s and like there's a shop in Tel Aviv where they only sell vintage textiles so nice and it's like Great. it's just gorgeous and I bought last time I was there like this big cloth of like canvas with these bright flowers and that bright flower fabric there's now like three big cushions in my house and I've made a bucket hat with it and those things like just being able to you know give life to something or make something that you just couldn't buy I just think it's so exciting or when you've envisioned something it's the same with the studio really like being able to envision something and then making the thing that you've envisioned is just infinitely satisfying for me um yeah. so that that's really like I I love I love making like I do love sewing and I do love to knit but it, I'm not great at it and it's very slow like I knitted I was really determined to learn how to knit socks a couple of years ago and I made a pair and then I decided I was going to make my boyfriend a pair for his birthday and he's got size 12 feet and I made that's, them. that's a lot of knitting my friend oh my god and I just picked yellow and it was just <laughs> like like months of just rows of tiny yellow stitches and after that I was like I just I know why would you knit socks just get it <laughs> been there done that got the yeah, sock didn't like it. It. but that's also another one of my things actually that people always ask me like oh you know oh, if I've made a dress oh can you make one for me or I'll pay you and I'm like no like absolutely not yeah because I'm very like with those kind of crafts I do as a meditation once I've made one thing I just don't want to make it ever again yeah 
Like, you want I've to done it now. Me? Yeah, I'll just do it again. Unless it's something that I made and it's like really stunning. Like, there's a couple of trouser patterns that I've made that I'm like, uh. but it's for me, you know. And the idea is that I can make it in whatever pattern I wanted to. And it's like, it's just a, yeah, I, I, I love it. I'm, I think sewing at the moment, I'm quite cyclical with my crafts as well because I definitely went into when I started the London Loom weaving was like my big thing um and I really wanted to make like a kind of like jackets with woven cloth and then I did it and I and I and I loved that process of starting something from complete scratch and then making cloth with it and then making it like a garment with that um that is amazing but now I'm just I think I just buying vintage fabric and making clothes with it is just what a just great thing to do <laughs> it's just great and you also mentioned your flat then and that's something else you said you're enthusiastic about at play that you love to curate your space mm. now I am obsessed with your flat yeah. I've never <laughs> seen it in real life but it's one of my favorite places to escape to uh, on Instagram um yeah. <laughs> talk, just talk us talk us walk us through your space and why why and how you love curating it so much because I sure. love seeing this is something I talked about a lot with my therapist okay so the thing is, is that I think... She was like, what do you want to talk about today, Francesca? And you were like, my Scarlett O'Hara Barbie's really yeah. been playing on my mind. Yeah. <laughs> do I open the box or do I not open the box? It's an endless question. Um, <laughs> so, because I think for me, having, uh, uh, like, mm, to go down this terrifying route, but my parents got divorced when I was about 10. And I think that the home w- always became it was my home but it there was a battleground element to home yeah and then I always lived in share houses and nothing's ever really yours you know like it is yours but and it depends some people live with people who they just love and it's everything feels very free but I always lived in share homes like I lived in a warehouse for a while that was like with 10 other people and I loved it but nothing's yours like everything's very shared and just you have to accept that it's going to be dirty or the kitchen whatever and I love to cook for example so not having my own kitchen you know, I don't mind, but having to go to your kitchen and it's filthy and you're like, oh, I hate it. Like, it's really stressful. And when I was a student in Amsterdam, I lived in a studio flat by myself. It was just the accommodation I was assigned. And I just loved it so much. And that was when I was 20 and I'm now about to turn 33. And it's been like this dream for like years of like, remember when I had my own space? And I think like, I just, I'm so comfortable in surrounded by color and like fabric and and like plants and dolls and posters and like that denote like who I am and I think like having the flat so I got I bought the flat last year that I called it the house that weaving built (laughs) such an embarrassing way to don't tell my boyfriend (laughs) and I bought this flat in June last year and it was just such an amazing it was just so amazing to buy this flat. I feel so endlessly lucky that I own it. And it's right in the middle of um, Clapton in Hackney. I look out over a park and it's just like, and which has been really amazing because I'm on the second floor now. So even though I haven't been out very much at the moment, like all I see out my window are trees and it is really lovely. And we have these big windows oh, that I can open. Central London, can you imagine? Yeah, in central London, oh. like I'm about a four minute walk away from Hackney Central train station, but oh. I can open my like giant slash windows and there's just treetops. It's amazing. Oh, it really is amazing. I mean, like we have a garden, but it's communal garden with like other flats. We don't go there as often, but it's like, we just get a lot of air and also from my back window um at the moment it's our bathroom and we're going to kind of change around since the kitchen but at the moment we can see 
the city of London. So I can have a bath. Like I had a bath last night and you can see like the shard lit up in the distance from the bath. It's really dreamy. Like I really feel crazy lucky. Like I, I can't even express enough how I'm like, I can't believe I get to, like every other day, me and my boyfriend are like, I can't believe we live here. Like, it's so nice. <laughs> and we're really lucky because we bought it at a point when no one was buying. So we got a lot of money off, you know, all these things. Anyway, it's not important. But basically, um, when we moved in, I always knew it was going to be colorful. I have a real bugbear about um, tasteful colors. Like I have a whole uh-huh. thing about it. Uh, one day I'll I'll go down some route where I talk about it more but um I've got a real thing I'm reading a book at the moment called chromophobia which is about like uh, colonial and class race like projections about color and it's really interesting because there is like a real deep um rooted thing about people not not liking color or being dismissive or judgmental about people who love color um and I mean like pink green you know wearing color as opposed to like any other kind of color you know just like color that you adorn yourself with and I find it in the studio as well that I get a lot of people who are like I'm going to make it tasteful colors so it matches my house and it's always grays and I always think I don't get it like that to me I have every single color in my living room I don't think it doesn't match like I just I can't I can't figure it out I think changing rooms has a lot to answer for in that <laughs> definitely the 90s destroyed everything everything was cream linda barker, wherever yeah, you are. yeah linda barker oh my god yeah everything's cream and the floor's brown like everything it's crazy it's just uh, and the sims even you can't even you know go down that route <laughs> i remember my sims houses in the 90s i was trying to make everything stylish so it was cream and now i have the sims even though i'm 33 and i'm like it's pink whatever and so when we bought the flat, we were every every room was decorated in like either a darkish blue or like a grey or like a greeny grey. And like I found it really depressing. And I wanted to paint it pink. I always wanted it to be a kind of like pale bubblegummy pink. I always thought that's such a warm colour. Like if people could ignore the fact that they think that girls like pink, they can ex- just acknowledge that like if you feel like you're in a womb, you're gonna feel great. Like, yeah, that's all. That's science. Good. That's just science. <laughs> that's science folks then there's an asterisk we don't know anything about um, but, <laughs> um and it's what's really interesting is so i had this conversation with my boyfriend when we moved in where it was like i love the color pink i don't care what, i don't care who knows it okay like i love it um and i remember and actually when i was young i always loved pink and i remember my mum would try to get me to like i remember once i picked a dress for a birthday party and it was like navy blue and white stripes and my mom was like i'm very proud of you for not picking pink and now i'm like who cares I wanted to wear yeah. pink. Like, why was I not just always in pink? What difference does it make? Um, no, well, I actually had a phase when I was four when I exclusively wore pink. I went through a weird yeah. phase. I only ate bread and only wore pink simultaneously. Right. Did you ever have any pink bread? Well, I mean, if I didn't, I will sue both of my parents <laughs> yeah. for emotional distress. Yeah, you should. What's a little be. bit of pink food colouring? <laughs> exactly. But it's so funny. So I sat, I when we were going, we didn't have any furniture. We'd both been living in share houses. My partner had been living with his band and I had just been living with whoever I could find to live with. <laughs> Basically, I was, You'll be my band, won't you? We're a band now. No, I'll, be, I'll be in your band. I have no musical talent. Um, and I, I, everything we were like, we need to buy a sofa. And we were trying to buy everything secondhand because we'd run out of money at this point. Um, and um, it was like everything was trying, oh, can we get the pink one? Oh, can we get the pink one? Can we get the pink one? And my boyfriend being like, I am cool with the pink, but I don't know if every item of furniture should be pink. And I was like, uh. and then he was like, what if we just paint all the walls pink? And yes. I was like, and this is why I've planned to marry you. 
it's been put off <laughs> and it was supposed to be next week um anyway oh. so it's fine. Um, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. I'm fine. It's fine. I'm fine with her just like so, sobbing into the into the kitchen. So, um, but what's funny is that so he was like, "Oh, let's paint everything pink," and then we went to home base and we picked out the perfect pink color and we tested it. But blah, blah, great, every single person who sees the pink or he tells his pink is tells him, "Oh, that's cool." Or like he goes on conference calls and they're like, "Cool pink walls, man." And he's, and like, he's yeah. like, I know. He's like, yeah, I know. Every single person I show is like, how did you convince your boyfriend to paint your pink, your house pink? And you were like, I got a cool boyfriend yeah. who doesn't conform to gender norms. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. It's so difficult. I can't tell you because I post about my stories a lot on Instagram, about my flat a lot on my stories on Instagram. And so many people, how did you convince your boyfriend? I'm like, I don't understand. And then people are like, oh, my boyfriend won't let me. And I'm like, dump him. <laughs> <laughs> he's not worth it <laughs> like a pink room is better than a shitty boyfriend surely um but like yeah so we painted the whole flat pink he's so, and he's always like i don't get why people think that i wouldn't like this it's so cool <laughs> like, oh, that's all he has to say icon. about it what an absolute icon he loves it his favorite color is purple he's into it um so yeah the flat has been really like i have been collecting like knickknacks and posters and weird pictures and framed barbara streisand prints and it doesn't business really there's two i'm looking at right now <laughs> i also like that you put that in a separate category to weird knickknacks like it's neither oh, yeah. weird nor is it a knickknack <laughs> she is in her own category she's the dream um and i've got the you know i've been collecting weird things and i think part of it has been like one day i'll have my own home and i'll put these things out and all the weird things that i want to put in a kitchen that i couldn't put out like I've had like a wire chicken for like a vintage wire chicken that I've had for eggs for like 10 years that has just been in my room because I like didn't want to like you know, I didn't want things to get destroyed where else would you put your wire <laughs> chicken am I right <laughs> and like I, and now it's like just having those things out all these like collection of like f- like a Danish uh breakfast plates that are by this like um mid-century Danish artist like they've just been like stored away in my house and now they're out on the wall like all these bits and pieces I just like was so desperate to put up and actually my boyfriend's got loads as well I'm really lucky in that regard where it's like we really have the same taste actually it's funny when we were making our um our invitations and our save the date for our wedding which again is postponed. it's postponed um, it's, fine. It's, fine. it's fine it's fine it's fine but when we were making the invitation everything was online and we designed it so that the save the date was kind of like pictures of us from like a photo booth like mixed up all over the place and the background was like neon like 60s flowers and i remember the the rabbi the rabbi for the wedding was like i just want you to to be a bit more romantic and i remember being in the synagogue in the rabbi's office going david calligraphy is not romantic to me <laughs> like neon 60s flowers hell yes like and also, what's more romantic than finding the man who will yes. you know, help you paint your flat pink there, exactly. there's, no, there's nothing like well, that well that's what i said i remember saying to him like you know i think it is romantic that we both want are like we both want the same thing that we're both really keen on having everything a bit kitsch and colorful and pink like that's why i like him i couldn't it and also i think because color and aesthetics and and um, aesthetics is like a dirty word because i don't mean like physical appearance but i mean like looking at beautiful things and art and whatever like that stuff's so important to me that like i get blamed a lot because i'm 
I'm more extroverted with people um that you know I'm sometimes more extroverted than my partner is um people assume that I've like I've decided on behalf of him that we're doing like all this stuff. Into it. yeah that he just doesn't care and he's passive and I just I find that so annoying because like I couldn't I couldn't be with someone who just didn't care about it or wasn't interested yeah. and that is it is like a bit of a it, so this flat is really like my best friend calls it like our like our our love nest <laughs> It's so embarrassing, but she's Danish, and I think she gets away with not realizing that it's like such an embarrassing thing to say. Um, yeah, I feel like a love nest in Danish is like cozy and Hugo. Yeah, it's like Hugo. Yeah, it's a love nest. Yeah, exactly. Here, I'm like, you just don't say that. It's embarrassing. And she's like, no, it's like your love nest. And I'm like, okay, that's not her accent. Um, <laughs> I can't tell her accent, but it's just like you know. So I think for me, like curating this space and being able to live in an environment which just feels mine, especially because I try really hard in the studio to make it not twee and there's no bits there's no like kitsch bits all over the place because I want it to feel like a neutral creative space for people to come and make what they want so it's just about having white walls with beautiful colored yarns everywhere so that there's room for other people's aesthetic and inspiration but in my yeah. home like I want it to be like I want to sit in my living room and be like oh look it's my little blue French vintage swan plant potter next to that print i bought and my records and that that cuddly adventure time toy you know like i want it all to be next to each other and like and i missed out the barbara streisand poster obviously um but like you know and the lava lamps over there and like it's so important to me like i just it makes me and it, i think it's a really like i think a lot of people think that like maybe it, it, it's a bit manic but i think that's the whole joy of having your own space where a lot of people would feel serene in a white and baby blue room but i feel serene in a pink room covered in pictures of barbara streisand <laughs> i think that sentence sums you up better than anything yeah. either of us could write to be honest but i I'm done. <laughs> i love that i have a very similar experience and my parents divorced when i was uh maybe 10 as well mm. somewhere between like 8 and 10 and it wasn't like it it wasn't a battle I was lucky in that it wasn't a battleground for mm. me but it, it did I didn't realize how much it meant to me because I was lucky enough to not only have one loving home but two loving homes yeah. then but obviously like moving between the two kind of made you like you know on weekends or whatever made me realize kind of what home meant but then when yeah. I went to uni I, because I'd had two loving homes I didn't really realize how much it would mean to me when I didn't have that because yeah. then I went to uni and I had a couple of bad living experiences uh, yeah and I think I had the same realization that I just that home was so so important to me so it's really funny that you said that because that really strikes a chord with with me as well I I know exactly what you mean it's such a big deal you know and I think like you know I know I think that we're 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 kind of new generation where like I'm you know I'm like I've said I'm 32 I'm almost 33 and this is the first time I've had my own space and also I could I had to have it with my partner I could have never had my own space on my own living in London it was impossible I would have done anything in my 20s to have been able to live in my own flat by myself you know I I and obviously there are people who earn enough money to do that but in London it's very uncommon and I remember my, so my best friend is Danish and she lives in Copenhagen um, and she has had her own flat since she was 25 because property is just cheaper it's so much more usual and also it's a city that's founded on living in flats so there are just more sized flats that you can get hold of basically yeah. and she lived in a teeny flat um, for years but I used to go you know I, I used to get 
sorry, this dream, this is like the end of this situation, but like, I used to get a very, very cheap Ryanair flight to Copenhagen, you know, like 50, 50 pound, yeah, I know, no more, 50 pound return flight to Copenhagen, I'd get on the tube, walk to her flat, I mean, she lived like, such a small city dream you know of like you get on the train from the airport and you're home in 20 minutes like imagine doing that in london it would never happen and i would get on the train get out cross the square go down her street and then it was just uh, that word that i can never pronounce hugo or whatever it's called she always tells me so wrong but it's like that dream of even though it was this tiny flat just because she also we both love cooking and like just being in this space alone uninterrupted to cook and listen to music and drink wine and talk all evening like I just I just and whenever she would visit me we have would have to make small talk with like whoever was in the living room or in the lounge or the kitchen or whatever and I just you know that that thing of like being in your own space I mean it's just it's just so dreamy like it's such a it's something that everyone should have access to but it's so impossible and I just feel I feel so lucky that I have that now. It's it's amazing. And so moving on to food as well. So you've mm. referenced this many a time, mostly in the realm of Parmesan, oh um, which is the main food group. Um, Honestly. But, <laughs> um, so, what, so what is your favourite thing to cook, first of all? Okay, look, there is just, I just love food so much. <laughs> I'm gonna level with you. I love food. <laughs> I'm gonna level with you. I can't. St- I, I lo- one of the things I connect with a lot of the time with my customers when they're weaving is just food. So I'll get a lot of people who come in who aren't from London or even from the UK who will be like, "Where's the best place to get X Y Z food in London?" And I'm like, "Let me tell you." And I like have been known to write people out like lists of places to go and what to buy, which sandwiches to buy at which place. Like I- I'm really obsessive. Like it's 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 my it's you just my like lean conspiratorially in and say tell them francesca sent you yeah tell them yeah tell them i sent you corklets and you'll get a discount <laughs> it's really like i think so i yeah so i love cooking just so much it's just one of those funny things so okay i love to cook um italian food I love cooking pasta, I d- which is really funny because it sounds like, oh, I love to cook pasta. Like, oh, okay, are you 17 and you live in a dorm? Like, no, no, I'm not <laughs> cooking it in a kettle. Okay, I know how to cook pasta properly. But I'm really like, I, like, I, I love to cook. So, okay, I, I make a lot of like um, ribolita, like cabbage sausage stew with pasta and stuff. I make a lot of, um, I, I loved, so the other day I made gnocchi from scratch. amazing with wild garlic pesto i mean can you even it was just so i'm one of those people where it's like it's rude to say yum at your own food but i'll sit there my boyfriend will start talking about like no 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 this is really delicious can you be quiet (laughs) like i can't it's so great we're in a safe pink barbara streisand space here we could admit that i'm an excellent cook and this is the nicest thing you've ever tasted (laughs) let's just be honest there's i can't even it's one of those things where like what do you like to cook and i've gone a bit blank because i'm just like food food i love it i love it all but it's just like there's yeah there's a lot of italian dishes i love to cook but i love also to cook like 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 jewish and israeli food so i lived in tel aviv for like a year and anyway i'm jewish and my mum always cooked jewish food and frankly there's nothing better than sitting down and having chicken soup like there just is nothing better sorry vegans there's nothing better you can't replicate it you just can't even i've spoken to a friend of mine recently who's vegan who's just like you just can't replicate it (laughs) 
that is a real that's a that is an existential crisis i feel yeah. being jewish and being vegan and not being able to have chicken soup i can't tell you i don't i i've i've also known of people who are vegan but they will make exceptions for chicken soup just because like how can you it is so it's it's jewish penicillin so that's like one of the earliest things i remember really like cooking i was really like the kid at home where my mum would be cooking and i'd be like need salt <laughs> My mum was terrified of me. I'd be like, what is this, Avril? Like, could you put a bit of, I don't know, it needs a little something. I just always, it was just the most, most annoying person to like go around tweaking whatever she'd been cooking. Um, so I, yeah, I love, to me, like one of the things also about having my own flat is that like we can have like Friday night dinner at home and I can make like roast chicken and um, chicken soup and matzo balls and like all those bits that I just like, for me, it's like you need the kitchen to yourself, you know, for the e- for the afternoon yeah. to like make those things. And I haven't done it yet um, in lockdown, but like I've had, I've been intending to make like challah bread, like Jewish bread for like the whole time so I could like sit down and properly have Friday night dinner. So like those things, I just, I think there's just something so wonderful in like sit in like spending that time for yourself like those two out there's nothing better frankly than putting on madonna's immaculate collection getting a bit drunk on cooking wine and just like <laughs> making a risotto you know what i mean like what's better than that i can't I mean, tell you not in hashtag relatable content because that is true that i'm i'm in i'm there in my mind's eye right now at yeah. 11 11 on wednesday morning and i'm pa- drunk i'm feeling good and we're singing along aren't yeah. we so papa don't preach you know I'm putting mushrooms in my risotto. That's how it goes. And it's just like, I think those things are so important. And I think also because one of the things is as well is that like, because I love cooking and now this is just been really, this is the thing I was saying, like in lockdown, it's been really funny. Like people are like stockpiling baked beans, but I'm like ordering 40 pounds worth of like a kilo of Parmesan from like an Italian restaurant. <laughs> like, God forbid I run out of proper Parmesan. I'm not having bloody Sainsbury's. It's not the same. Like, I've got that. I've ordered like mirin and like and like sesame seeds and all these different like, Japanese things because I think one of the things I miss is going out for dinner at different places. So I'm trying to replicate things that we would eat out so we feel yes. like we're having, you know, time you know we're doing the things that we normally enjoy doing and my boyfriend likes it because he's quite introverted he would rather never go to a restaurant and that i just cook all the things that we would have at a he's, restaurant he's having the time of his yeah. absolute life yeah. like world-class food from loads of different cuisines traveling the world without having to leave his apartment yeah exactly he's so happy and i'm just doing it and drunk and dressed like madonna so what more could you want um <laughs> and it's just it's just yeah i think that's been really that's just been really amazing so i've just kind of like that like yeah I just think cooking I just love I just love it like I can't I'm like overwhelmed by how much I love food (laughs) but this is one of those things where people like you should open a restaurant and I'd be like but would I get to eat all the food no then it's no would would that allow me to make money whilst being drunk singing to the Papa Don't Preach and making myself a risotto the two don't really marry me unfortunately and that's the whole thing for me as well I think that it's like I you know have you ever read that book I'm like the five love languages or I've seen it there's like a whole book or movement or whatever but it's a really old like lame 80s book about love languages but like how you show love and how you receive love and like people have their different things so for example like you do a quiz it's amazing I recommend you do everyone do it after this podcast because it is thrilling and also has stopped many an argument with my partner because it's things like he like receives he his love language is like touch so he really needs to be cuddled all the time which drives me a bit meshuggah 
for want of a better word um and and my and my love language is like is like acts of like whatever it is i can't remember it's like acts of something like doing things for someone else which he's like that's not fair or love language is like annoying i have to do stuff for you i just need a hug no like whatever but it's like for me it's like doing stuff and the way and also the way i give i show people that i love them is also by cooking for them so like yeah it's just like for me it's like to stand there and it's also for myself as well like i'm big on feeding myself like my mum keeps being like oh i couldn't be bothered to make myself anything in lockdown oh i have it's just me and i'm like i wouldn't give a shit if my boyfriend was here i would be making all of these meals just for myself and be happier because i wouldn't have to share them with anyone yeah, because then I'd get double portions. Yeah, then I'd get double portions. I'd be eating it all day. It would be amazing. I wouldn't have to hug anyone. Yeah, I'd be so happy. But it's just like, I think that the, there's just something in food and like this dream of like sitting around a table with people and you fed them and you're eating really beautiful food. And so, and, and what I was saying in terms of like like worldwide cooking is because I lived in Tel Aviv for a year, there are so many things that like food is so important there in a way that it, it's becoming more important here, but it isn't important here. Like I've been in restaurants. I remember going to a restaurant um, last time I was in Tel Aviv and just like a pita place, like a really good pita place, but like a pita place. And these two teenage boys ordered some sweet potato and one of them cut it open spread it out sprinkled salt in it and spread some tahina on top and I was like have you ever seen a teenage boy do that for someone in England you have not you know what I mean it's like as if they would just be eating chips on the side of the road like it just wouldn't be happening and he was like oh no way I'm just gonna and he just like fixed the sweet potato for them all to eat and I was like it's just so important there so the the wealth of food of like flavors that you get in the middle east is just so amazing and that's something that i have there's not that many places here that do that and so living in israel and they're simple things a lot of it comes down to like just the way you cook something or like the way you roast a whole cauliflower or the way you roast aubergine for example like that's my one of my number one things i cook so like there's a i could talk about this podcast is five hours long right i'm just going to talk about food (laughs) but like um there's like a there's a there's like an i think it's i could be wrong it's either iranian or iraqi sandwich which has kind of like made its way to israel and it's called a sabih oh my god this sandwich is like a pita sandwich but they call the salad and like tahina in it like a normal falafel sandwich but instead of like falafel it's got boiled egg sliced up and like roasted aubergine oh and then like with tahina and like spice and salad in it and, it, and also normally it has this stuff this is going really complex it normally has this stuff called sug in it which is like a yemenite chili sauce and this stuff called amber which is like a curried um mango thing that you put on top of it kind of like oh a, my god you put it, this sounds incredible i can't tell you this it is the best sandwich in the world and i make that a lot at home so like that is something that i'm like really obsessed with of like making like middle eastern food at home because i don't I just don't know that many places in London. There are places in London. I think Israeli food, there's been loads of Israeli restaurants that have kind of popped up in the last couple of years that have been really popular, but they're kind of expensive and I just can't go to them all the time. And I, and but I love them and like just, and like finding the right pitta, you know, it's really hard to find really good pitta in the UK. Oh my God, mm-hmm. what you buy in Sainsbury's, not proper pitta. So it's like I buy it from like a kosher, I've been like getting online deliveries from like kosher supermarkets, just the pitta. Actually, if anyone wants to know, Morrison. <laughs> like you have to spend a minimum order of 40 pounds, you're like, that's fine, yeah. 40 pounds of pitta, please. All in my freezer. Morrison does actually have the best supermarket pitta in the UK. Just going to tell you all that now. Morrison's pitta wow. for the win. Crazy. Very good. That's, 
that's we've had multiple exclusives on this podcast i really appreciate how much you've given to the people you know if i go to morrison's next week and there's no pitta i'll know why but like but so things like that i really love to roast an aubergine oh my gosh you know i'd never had a decent aubergine until i moved to tel aviv and was like oh this is what aubergine should taste like yeah right, because you know when you eat someone's made you something with aubergine it's like squeaky yeah haven't cooked you know what i think <laughs> And the thing is, I just a massive food snob as well because it's things like I've had multiple arguments with my boyfriend who went about the fact that you don't put cream in carbonara. You know, it's just things like that. <laughs> I'm really obsessed with. <laughs> uh, spoken like a true Italian nonna, though. Yeah, well, my name's Francesca, and I just get to pretend that I'm Italian and I'm not at all. <laughs> sure, sure, but you're you're preserving purity in in Italy, and I'm sure that's I'm sure they, they thank you for that. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Say no to cream. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> that's your slogan, famously. That's my slogan. Um, and so, despite your uh, cream purity, you are yeah. not Italian. But you are Jewish, and what I love about it, just a fact for you there, Francesca. Yeah, I don't know if you knew. That. Yeah, I had um, But the the two things. So you've said loads about what you're enthusiastic about in life, which I absolutely sure. love. The two things that are capitalised from this list are being Jewish and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> both, either, either or, whatever you sure. would like to talk about. Um, yeah, well, being Jewish, I, it's a really funny thing because uh, it's funny because we're so funny. Um, Jews, you know, they're funny. Um, <laughs> uh, we're known for it. Um, yeah, so I love being Jewish. I think the reason why I say that is because it's something that I used to be a bit sheepish about when I was younger. Like, uh-huh. being, I, I've experience not like aggressively but I've experienced so much casual anti-semitism in my life in the UK like just so much and like I think it made me and I didn't realize really sheepish about talking about being Jewish I my mum's just loves talking about being Jewish and I used to find it really annoying when I was younger like yeah. oh god she's always going on about it like whatever yeah we get it it's Rosh Hashanah who cares but like I just uh, like I think as I've grown up when I moved to I moved to Australia when I was traveling around when I was in my mid-20s and I remember talk, like a friend of mine who is like half Greek half Austra- uh, half Jewish Australian girl who's like the most amazing character she's called Marla and I remember her being like to me I remember someone messaged me saying happy Easter from England and she was like why is she messaging you you're Semitic (laughs) I was like what and it never crossed my mind that like actually I live in a in a Christian country and like there is an otherness to being Jewish and like because I'm white I feel very much like it's not a race thing and I'm not other. I'm actually extremely well assimilated and I'm privileged and I have all these other things. But actually I have a culture from my home that is other to the norm in the UK and has made me feel excluded on lots of different occasions. And I think that's part of the reason I moved to Tel Aviv when I was in my 20s because I was so curious about the culture. And it was amazing for me to live in a country where the, the festivals I celebrated at home were celebrated as a nation and I felt really included and part of something that I hadn't done and I had never realized that I hadn't done and so coming home and there's so much stuff in the news about anti-semitism and what's been going on politically and stuff that's really stressful and have had to have really awkward conversations with people about like you know you know different things to do with Israel or whatever but like you know, but to me, it all comes down to the fact that I'm like, but I have to make a stand, you know, 
do you, like I think there's a real thing in like having a like an inherited trauma or having like historical trauma that you kind of are aware of and you yeah. know, there were members of my family that had like died in the holocaust or have fled like all of my family's history is about fleeing from somewhere to go somewhere else because they were Jewish so I do find that it is like it's part of my kind of like it's my obligation to like to respect like that ancestral trauma but also like I'm just so proud to like be where I am when I think about that like that difficult path as well like that just everyone all these stories about babies being thrown over the river just the whole film Fiddler on the Roof that's basically my family like (laughs) and I I know all the words so we're fine Um, yeah it's my top karaoke number um but like it's just, you know, so I, I'm really proud of it. But I also, I realized recently, which was, well, not recently, I realized so much that when I write, part of the reason that I'm really engaging now and getting involved in writing and enjoying it is that, like, I don't relate often to what is on television, for example, in the UK, but will relate really strongly to things that are on in America because, um, because there's so much Jewish culture. So TV shows like Broad City, which are not like inherently, they're not, it's not a British, it's not a Jewish show, but it's inherently Jewish. Like they're so Jewish and I relate to them on such a level that I've never seen in the UK. So things like people, someone my partner knows is a writer and she's Jewish and she's submitted Jewish type scripts before for television and she always gets told but we've got friday night dinner we don't need another jewish show and i just find it amazing because to me friday night friday night dinner i know it's written i'm pretty sure it's written by a jewish guy but it's not a jewish show there's nothing jewy about it like it's very it's very watered down if it's jewish it's british it's like a british comedy show and it's not overt they don't talk about being jewish and therefore for me like that's not jewish because all jews ever fucking talk about is being jewish so like how (laughs) how could it be a jewish show so it's just like things like that even like those shows you know shows like transparent where the family is jewish but it's just part of the show like that stuff it's so i relate to it so strongly and i think that like the love of like making jewish food and jewish films and barbara streisand comes into it because she's such like a strong jewish female icon and i just uh, like to me she is like the messiah like he hath cometh it is barbara streisand like (laughs) like if anyone thought i was religious (laughs) you're right i'm a barbarist but like it's just she's amazing i read a book um, I just don't even know where it came from. Like one day, I just don't even remember. I don't remember the origin of where the love for Barbara Streisand came. It just like trickled in. Like, I think I must have watched it's like one... a collective consciousness. Yeah. And then you were, you were hooked. <laughs> yes. And like I got a whiff of it. Like it was like in the air. <laughs> I was like obsessed with her. Um, but like it's, it's, I must have watched Funny Girl when I was younger or something because I like loved watching old movies when I was like six. It was like Gone with the... I was all about Gone with the Wind and Barbara Streisand when I was like six years old. It was like, <laughs> like a cabaret act at the age of six doing it. Was, it was great. Um, but yeah, I, and I think like I read a book when I was in New York studying, uh, like training to do, run my weaving studio i read this biography about her and i can't remember exactly what it's called but it's called something like barbara streisand exploring the myth of the the femininity the myth the power or something it's like amazing and it's a bio it's like an academic biography of barbara streisand about like her like her films her life like why she's chosen certain things why she's been in certain relationships it's a bit fucked up but it's a great book 
And she, I was staying like down the road from where she had grown up in Brooklyn. And it's like her story is just amazing because she is one of those people that is like, she came from nothing. Her dad died when she was born. She was like very poor living in the Jewish area of Brooklyn. Like her mom always told her she was never going to amount to anything. She had a stepfather who wasn't very nice to her. She has like a younger half brother. She has all these things. No one was really interested in her. Everyone always told her she was scrawny and not... Um, not pretty enough to be on stage and she and by the age by the time of like she was 17 she was already on stage just because she was like no I will be no I'm gonna be on stage no I'm really talented I'm gonna be like that's like her whole shtick and like there's a whole thing about how people in the media were like constantly like she needs to have a nose job she's got a terrible nose going on about it and there's like a whole thing about how she she did like an audience with Barbara Streisand when she was like 20 or something because you know as you do and she walked down. I mean, she's she's practically old by that point. She's been on it for three years. Yeah, she's exactly. She's, she's seasoned. She walked, like, down the middle of the audience. Like, so she walked through the middle and then she got onto the stage. And she said she got on stage and her her opening line was something like, well, if I knew I was going to walk down the middle of you, I would have had my nose fixed. <laughs> like, and her whole thing was like, I don't give a shit if it's the 60s and you think I'm ugly. Like, I'm going to make fun of it and I'm going to be a fucking star. And like, she's been, I don't think people realize as well, she has been like seriously snubbed by the Academy. Like people think she's like a pain in the ass to work with. So like, for example, the film Yentl, my second favorite Barbara Streisand film. (laughs) What a coincidence. (laughs) What a coincidence. I have a massive, this is also how I knew I was going to eventually marry my boyfriend because my first birthday present that we were together, he just bought me a poster of Yentl. And he was like, I understand I am your second love. And you were like, good, it will work very well. (laughs) We'll be fine. Like, it's amazing. So, yeah, like, um, so so in that film, which is amazing if no one's seen Yentl, it's like so fantastic. It's such a like feminist, amazing film. And it's just beautiful. So she, and it's just so Jewish. So obviously I love it. Um, She, and, and in that film, that film was nominated for every Oscar possible apart from um, lead actress and director, which was what she did in the film. But it was nominated for everything mm. else. And it's a real like, this was like her directorial debut. She is amazing in this film and like should have gotten an Oscar for it. And it's directed beautifully. It's just a really beautiful film. And it is just like, there's just those, I just think there's something so wonderful about her. And I saw her and oh, we went to go at, like, with my parents my sister to go see her in Hyde Park I mean we were so far back the seat the tickets were so expensive she was like a pin but I could see her and she was just so funny like she's just she's got it she had like a big Zandra Rhodes like um caftan on and then she just sits on the stage and drinks tea from a proper like um what do you call it like bone china tea like tea set and she's just like drinking tea and then she'll crack out this amazing number and it was just amazing she was just fantastic like just amazing she's like chatting to everyone she's making all these jokes and she's just she's just i just think she's amazing it's such a funny thing i'm just obsessed with her (laughs) i love that i I think it makes not that it not that your enthusiasms need to make sense but i think that does totally make sense like going back to kind of your um relationship with being Jewish and I think for yeah. somebody to be like that strong and unapologetically as she should be Jewish but you know uh, that is one element of it kind of as, as a tie to your identity but also her just being fucking brilliant at what she does like that it yeah. all makes sense yeah that she's your icon I think so and I think she's just yeah I think and she's also just she's just very like 
she's just very outspoken about the things that she believes in. Like, she's just like, I believe it. Like, it, like she's like, I believe in climate change. I believe in Israel. These are the things that I believe. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, she's unapologetic. And also, she's had her dog cloned. And I just think there's something wonderful about that. I love how you've gone from climate change in Israel to dog cloning. Honestly, what the fuck? She's mad. Why she had a dog cloned? So look, this is the thing that I think people just don't understand about Barb Streisand she's so fucking rich and crazy <laughs> I love her so she had a dog called Sammy I know everything about it she had a dog called Sammy it's like a little fluffy white thing and she like loved this dog and it was dying and she had it cloned because she was so couldn't bear this dog dying so now she has three dogs which are her dog's clones <laughs> that is and that if anyone other than you had told me that I would not have believed that to be true but I know you would never joke about this serious no. situation this is serious. I just think it's amazing. And then when I went to go see her in Hyde Park, at the end of the show, her dogs came out on a pushchair. <laughs> and I was just like, and that's why you're my idol. Fair enough. I mean, nothing else needs to be said, does it really? Frankly, no. <laughs> I'm gonna, you've given us so much to have to Google after this, oh, but I'm going to look at multiple books you reference. I'm going to find out my love language. Um, yeah. And I'm going to... I look some footage of Barbara Streisand's cloned dogs. Oh my god, they're just they're just ridiculous. It's so good. On a push chair. Oh, I can't even. She's just amazing. You are also ridiculous, but I mean that in the most flattering sense possible because <laughs> I have so enjoyed this chat. Thank you so, Thank you. so much. Uh, it's just been I mean, I said at the top of it, but you are such a joy to be around, but also it's you're you've got so so many levels makes me sound so stupid. <laughs> I do. I can kneel and stand. You can, <laughs> and then like halfway as well. Like it's just That's been right. so so uh, lovely. Well, thanks so much. I really I have enjoyed this too. So great. Any chance to talk about Barbara? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, could you let people know where to find you yeah. online? to talk more about Barbara with you yes sure so um, my Instagram handle is at the London Loom and my website is www.thelondonloom.com but it's best to just find me on Instagram because at the moment I am firmly ignoring my website (laughs) yeah at the London Loom is is where you'd find me amazing well thank you so so much Francesca you've been an absolute gem and hopefully I will see you in real life soon yes hopefully thanks so much Ellie Well, thank you very much for listening to that episode of The Enthusiast and Co. This is the bit where I tell you where you can find me. Um, I am on Instagram at theenthusiast.co, on Facebook forward slash The Enthusiast Co, and on Twitter at Eleanor Kime, uh, K-I-M-E. My website is theenthusiast.co if you're looking for my merch, any more resources or my blog, um, and you can sign up to my email newsletter there as well. Thank you so much for listening. Speak to you next time.